We are once again blessed to have a split sermon by our good brother and friend Curtis Whiteley. Today you have a split sermon entitled, A Sure Foundation. Curtis. Thank you, Ron. Good afternoon. It's wonderful to see everyone here today, and I have to just kind of warn you that I have been struggling for about two weeks now with my voice. Uh, just two weeks ago, I think the first time in my entire life I experienced what everybody had been talking about uh, with that flu that was going around, and, and I'm 100% except for my voice, so uh, if you're noticing that I'm sounding a little bit different than I usually do, that is the reason. And, uh, I, don't, I don't get much rest from day to day vocally with being a teacher, uh, having to speak about six hours a day. So uh, just to let you know that. Well, uh, as I was preparing this message today, uh, as you can see, it's entitled A Sure Foundation. And we're going to look at a particular passage that Jesus had to say about foundations and, and, and what we build our faith upon. Uh, but just this morning, I had noticed uh, something that I'd, of course, known about and been watching for the past four or five months. I live in a neighborhood that is not complete yet, and particularly on my street, there are several houses and several lots that are empty. In the past few months, directly in front of our house, uh, they have been building two different houses side by side. And it's really interesting, as you know, some of you might have experienced and been able to see. You know, I mean, obviously we see houses being built and we see structures being put up. But but living right across the street, you get to, you know, every day you you know you pull in your house, you know, there's a little bit something different, something's changed, or some progress has been made, or at least when they're working, that is, because uh, there will be their nice intermittent gaps in between uh, the different crews that come in, but. I was looking uh, today, and I was just kind of noticing in my small experience in, in construction when I was 15 years old, uh, I don't know a lot about it. I, I, I do know that my small experience came at a much slower pace than what I see these two houses being whipped to and slapped together today. And it, it got me thinking back about my experience, about my experience in construction, because when I was 15 years old, uh, and, and, and all of us have been having Jeanette in our prayers this week, uh, which is my aunt, you know, and I was thinking about Tommy, Uncle Tommy, that's of course no longer with us, but he was the one in which I had this experience in construction with. You see, everyone that knew Tommy knew that Tommy was involved in construction. That's what he did his whole life. He did many different things, drywall. Uh, but just being around that industry, he, he knew it all. He knew the ins and outs about building houses and about putting up structures. And one thing that was interesting about working with my uncle when I was 15 years old, of course, it was very difficult work, in my opinion. I, I thought it was you know, something I had never experienced before, uh, you know, with the heat in the summer. And uh, it was just me and him. And, you know, obviously looking at these crews that work on houses today, there could be up to 20 people working at the same time. But literally this entire summer was spent on pre preparing the foundation for this house. And towards the end of the summer, we finally were able to pour concrete, pour a slab. And it took us the entire summer to do this. And a lot of it had to do with the, the land in which it was put on not being the best 
as far as uh, having to get many of the rocks out and having a lot of different, uh, I guess you would say, wood and trees and, and things of that nature and trying to prepare it the right way. That way termites won't come in and, and destroy the foundation later. But I remember one particular day we had a load that was to be delivered to this, this site that we were working on, which they, you know, Jeanette and, and Tom still lives to this day. And this person who was delivering the lumber was, of course, a worker. And his, you know, he, he was trying to hurry up and deliver the wood and be able to get back to his store, pick up some more wood, and make another delivery. But I remember succinctly that this is kind of a, a tradition or a, or a habit that these delivery guys would get into. They'd go out to these, these, these sites where, where people were slapping houses together in a matter of a week or two, or, or at least the framing part with, that the wood was used for. And they would just dump the wood on the ground or the site and just drive off and just hurry up and get and make sure they're getting all their deliveries done. But with this particular site, of course, we were much slower. There's only two of us and it wasn't a crew. So I remember real succinctly my uncle, you know, looking at the guy in the eye and saying, Look, this needs to be stacked up before you leave. I don't want you just dropping this off and it just being in a pile. Because what would happen is is with the weather, with rain and things of that nature, after a few weeks the the wood would warp and it would run it, or it would run several of the pieces. And I remember the guy was just very confident and thinking that he was just going to deliver the wood and just be able to do like he always did. And my uncle told him if, if it was to, you know, when they deliver these, these big stacks of wood, they have these wires that, that they put around them to, to keep them stacked up and from falling off the truck. And whenever they just let it down on the ground, they pretty much just put that big flatbed up in the air and just kind of drive forward and it just slides off the flatbed. And a lot of times what happens is when it slams onto the ground, those wires will come apart and the wood will just come into a complete pile. And that's exactly what happened. And I never remember, I'll never forget, the guy was just so confident that he would be able to do this without the wires coming undone. My uncle was trying to explain to him he couldn't do it in the way he was trying to do it. And as soon as the guy delivered the wood and drove off forward, the wood just completely came undone and went into a pile. And, of course, the guy looked at my uncle, and my uncle just said, stack them up. So that guy spent about 45 minutes because trying to stack this large order of wood together because he wasn't taking the advice of, of what my uncle was trying to explain to him, being in the industry for 30, 40 years. And it just got me thinking that if there was anything that I could take away from this summer, of course, just being around him uh, more than just that summer, was that, when you do things in life, make sure that you do them the proper way. Make sure that you take the time and, and do things, even though it might seem a little bit more inconvenient, a little bit more slow, do things the way in which they're supposed to be done. Do things right. And of course, there were many things that I could glean from, you know, being able to spend time with, with him uh, during that summer and during different times. But it got me thinking about today and about the foundation in which we build our life upon. I mean, do we take the time to make sure that our life is built on a proper foundation? I mean, how do we consider our life? I mean, there's no other thing that's more important to make sure that the foundation in which our faith, our life, and all that we believe in is built upon a sure foundation. Let's turn to Matthew, the seventh chapter, real quick, and let's see something that Jesus had to say about this very thing. And see, we're going to actually pick it up in, at the end of a section of what Jesus was saying. And we'll look at some of the context, but we want to kind of come to the end 
Jesus' last words here on what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And picking it up in verse 24 of Matthew, the seventh chapter, it says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and did not fall. For it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house. And it fell, and great was its fall. So the background of this, this saying that Jesus just got done saying was, was the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And, and we've read so many of the different things that Jesus has to say in this very popular and famous section of the scriptures. But, but one of the things that Jesus does is he comes and he, he's trying to warn the people. He's trying to give them instruction. Many of the things that people had heard in these days were, were misconceptions of the truth. You know, they were mixed up. A lot of it was based upon, you know, what they had been taught. Or they were basing their beliefs and a lot of their faith on things that what men had told them. And Jesus right here, he, he, at the very end of this, as you notice, the very first passage we read, it says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, whoever are the doers of what I'm saying. And Jesus, he's, he's speaking a lot in pairs. Starting in, in actually verse 13, if you were to read it, you'll see that Jesus brings all these things up in pairs. Two ways, two choices that we have. We have two ways of life. We have two gates. We have the narrow gate and we have the wide gate. We have two types of prophets and two types of teachings. We have false prophets and false teachings. And we have true prophets and true teachings. And Jesus ends this by two different foundations. A strong foundation and a weak foundation. And I actually, the theme of this message today is there's nothing really to it. It's just real simple. It's almost just what Jesus has to say. Make sure that you are building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And I have just a couple reasons I want to bring to you why we need to make sure that our foundation is firm and built on Christ. The first reason is because Jesus Christ is the rock. And it's interesting that we look at what Jesus says. He doesn't go and say, he doesn't say, you know, make sure that you build on a rock. He says, make sure that you build on the rock. And he's likening the man who built on the rock versus the man who built on sand. And Jesus is kind of showing that theme that's throughout all the scriptures. It's talked about all the way from the beginning, that rock. We all know who that rock is, the eternal, the God of all the universe, the one who has set in motion these plans that we read about, this entire world, this entire universe, this, you know, all the complexities that we see around us. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, is a very famous chapter, and looking at trying to parallel that, that you know, common theme that's throughout all scriptures about the rock. The rock. When it says, and the Apostle Paul mentions, moreover, brethren, speaking to the, to the church at Corinth, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. 
But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness, and now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted. And were destroyed by serpents, nor complained as some of them complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And this is a passage that we've read many times, and, and just trying to look at at that, those Old Testament examples and about how they they've been recorded and and they're written for us. They're written for us to look at and. It's interesting because it's not like we're looking at things and trying to look at the most perfect example in Israel because they weren't a good example most of the time and many of the time. In fact, we're actually learning from their mistakes more than we are learning from their successes and the things that they did right and good. And we see just going back, if we just kind of reminisce to, to, to the, the stories of ancient Israel and, 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 and some of them deciding not to build on that that rock, that strong foundation. You know, God delivers them out of Egypt. And, and some of them, because of lack of faith, they don't build on the rock. We see some of them having such a lack of faith that, you know, it was scary. Leaving Egypt, yeah, that was bondage, but, but at least it was familiar. At least it was something that, you know, they, they knew that they had experienced before. and It wasn't unknown to them. You know, some of them even wanted to go back. To Egypt. Some of them also were just outright rebellious, and we see that with the idolatry that took place in ancient Israel. And some decided instead to build on a counterfeit of the rock. Let's turn to Exodus, the 32nd chapter. <coughs> Exodus, the 32nd chapter, and what Paul mentions there, he says, some of them, though, turned to idolatry essentially. And we know the story. We know the, one of the most highlighted stories in, in the wilderness, in the wilderness uh, travels was the, the story of the golden calf. And, in, and this story is recorded in Exodus, the 32nd chapter. Moses is up on the mountain, and he's, he's receiving the instructions from God. And the people become impatient. The people become fickle. They're not quite sure what happened to Moses. That For all they know, he's dead. And instead of waiting on Moses and having faith that that God who had just brought them out of Egypt, that God that had just done all these miraculous things right in front of their eyes, instead of having faith like they should have that had been proven to them over and over again, they turned to Aaron and said, Aaron, we don't know what happened to Moses, but what we do know is we want you now to make something for us. Create gods. Create a leader for us. Create something to believe in. Something that we can put a face to when it comes to looking towards who's leading us. So as we know the story in this chapter, Exodus, the 32nd chapter, we know that Moses, or not Moses, but Aaron took the gold and, and took their earrings and took different metals. And it said that he, he fashioned them. He molded them. And shape them into something which we know is a golden calf. And it's interesting. 
Looking at some of the details of the story, you don't quite sometimes, we just read it real quickly, sometimes it, you, know, it, you, know, you don't see it. You don't see some of the little details, what Israel and what Aaron was doing. They were shaping their God, the God they wanted, in the image and in the shape in which they wanted Him to be. They were choosing what they wanted God to be when they did this. They were conforming God to their standards, to their perceptions of this world, to their perceptions of this life. As the God they created, something once again looking to that want of familiarity, a golden calf. And to us, that's strange. For them, that was something that was familiar. There were calf gods and bull gods all over the ancient Near East at this time. Egypt, the Philistines, all, many archaeological excavations has revealed that this was a popular fertility and strength deity. A deity that symbolized fertility and symbolized strength. And it's interesting, the last thing which was said, when you read this story, you know, Aaron doesn't say, here's your new God. You know, here's the God you're going to follow now. He says, no, Israel, here's the Lord God. Here's the one that delivered you out of Egypt. Here's the one who did all those things. Now we have a face to put with them. You know that Red Sea parting? You know all those plagues that was in Egypt? You know all these things? This is the God who did it. And we understand what happened. The God was very angry with Israel. And that Moses came in there. And Moses actually beseeched God that he wouldn't destroy the nation in which just rejected him in front of his face. And it's interesting that we, we can think about Israel and think about them wanting to, to, to mold and fashion God after their perceptions and their likes and the things that they think God should be. We do the same thing today sometimes. We can see people do this. And we have to ask ourselves, when we think about God and when we're worshiping God and, and we're living our lives, do we, do we have sometimes a temptation to kind of, you know, maybe alter God's image? And I'm not talking about idolatry in the sense that we're actually getting down and worshiping anything. I'm talking about maybe our hobbies get in the way. Maybe we try to justify certain behaviors, certain actions, certain mindsets. That it's okay. That God won't mind this. That God understands. Because what we'll do is, is sometimes we try to use our understanding. We try to use our own standards and try to apply them to God and say, Well, I understand this and surely God is going to see it the way I see it. We have to ask ourselves, do we do that? We have many people, you know, you know, talking about this world that we live in, and, and this goes for, for, you know, for everybody. And this Christian faith and Christianity, it's, it's not easy, you know. It's not easy living in this world sometimes that seems to be very opposed to the ideals of what Jesus came and taught and, and, and the Christian morals. You know, sometimes it's almost easier just to kind of be like everyone else in the crowd. You know, just just be like what's familiar. Let's, you know, yeah, you know, this Christian thing is, is good. I'm, I'm down with that. There's things I might have to give up, you know, lifestyle choices, attitudes. But, you know, I just don't know if I can give that up. I just don't know if I can completely do away with that old man. We have to ask ourselves, what things do we hold on to? 
What things do we try to cling to because of our fear of getting away with, from all things that are familiar to us? Their next passage or our next reason, our next thing that I want to bring out, why we should make sure that our foundation is built on Jesus, I think is one of the reasons and one of the things in which Jesus is focusing on right here, which is because his judgment is sure. The day of the Lord is coming. There will be a day in which the foundation in which we have been built on will be revealed. And right here, it talks about, you know, Jesus right before this in these passages talk about how in, in, in chapter 7, verse 21 and 23, or through 23, right before Jesus talks about this story about the foundations in which we build on and, and hearing and doing and not just hearing and not doing versus the, the strong foundation versus the, the sandy foundation, Jesus says, many in that day will say, Lord, Lord. Many people will come to me and say, didn't I cast out people in your name, cast out demons in your name? Didn't I do wonderful things in your name? And Jesus will say that he didn't know them. And it's interesting because it, it, it's waiting to that very last day, to that day of judgment where all things will be revealed. Where the day of the Lord is at hand, the day of the Lord is present, and all are at the throne of Christ, at that judgment seat of Christ. And sometimes it's interesting, you know, we, we can talk about like an illustration and thinking about those houses that were built and are being built in my neighborhood. And sometimes we're not quite sure, people on the outside, you know, who's really on a firm foundation and who isn't. And we have the works, we have what people do, we, we understand all that, we know that. But, it, you know, it's interesting that sometimes the foundation and truthness and genuineness of someone is not really revealed until there's some resistance towards it. I mean, think about it. Think about two houses being built at the same time simultaneously. One house being built with a sure foundation, with a strong foundation, one with a faulty foundation. And after these houses are built and you look at them, and, and probably right when they're built you look at them and, and they look exactly the same. You can't really tell a difference unless you're an expert in construction and, 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 and how all this stuff goes into it and taking a magnifying glass and inspecting every little part of that foundation. You might not even know which one's the strong and which one's the weak. It's only after the test of time. Time will go by. The test of the elements, the environment, hard winters, hard summers, storms, maybe even earthquakes, and it's possible now in Oklahoma for that to happen. And then slowly by slowly, surely, most likely, it will be revealed which foundation's sure and which foundation's faulty. And the same thing goes with us and people living in this world. You know, we have the, 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 the tests that come throughout our life, and this life is a test. You know, we have trials, we have persecutions, we have things that happen. We have tragedies that strike, and those are all true. But there is a final test that someday we will have to, we have to acknowledge. And that final test is being able, with our foundation, stand up to the judgment of Christ. And those who are built on the foundation, not foundation of men, not foundation of, you know, uh, I guess you would say pseudo-disciples, someone who's really not a true disciple of Christ, you know, maybe outwardly says all the right things, you know, you know, mentions all the right things, goes to all the right places, but inwardly really isn't built 
on the right foundation, really isn't built on the rock. And those things will be revealed, and, and the test of time will help in that revelation. The last reason I have uh, to wrap this up, why we should make sure that we're building on the foundation of Christ, building on that sure foundation on the rock, is because He has the authority. He has the authority. Verse 28 says of Matthew, the seventh chapter, and so it was, and this is wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And so many people in this day had, because of the circumstances, had based their teachings, based their beliefs on the religious leaders to an extent that was a fault of their own. The dynamics and way the situation was set up where a lot of people were not educated on how to read. A lot of people were required to go to the synagogue just to learn and hear the scriptures. And in the synagogue, many times, those religious leaders would be them and tell them what to believe. And today we have some of the same things sometimes. You know, there are ministers and there are pastors and there's people in the ministry that are called by God to, to serve Him and, and to teach His way. And that's true. But those are just guides. Those are just tools of God. The ultimate authority is God. The ultimate truth comes and is revealed by God, by Christ. It's interesting, just thinking about some of the things I've been teaching in my class this week was... You know, some of the questions I had from students was, you know, we're studying the Protestant Reformation right now and the Renaissance period. And if you know anything about this period, this was a period where it was very expensive just to be able to own a book. And most people, in fact, didn't even own books because printing wasn't around quite yet until after the middle of the Renaissance period. So in order to be able to purchase and get a book, you had to be pretty wealthy because every single word had to be written or copied from another copy. And then Johann Gutenberg's Bible, it's printed on the printing press. The printing press comes about, and all of a sudden there's this explosion. There's an explosion of knowledge. And it's interesting because during this period there was, there was a guy named Desiderius Erasmus, and he was a, a Christian humanist, and they were, the humanists back in the day were, were a little different than the ones today. The, the ones today are very secular and, and very anti-God. The ones back in the day were more just, you know, a lot of them were just you know, critical thinkers, and, and they were almost just, uh, I, I guess you would say, critical of the, of the wrong things that were happening, the corruption in the church. And one of the things that he said, or I'm just paraphrasing, was that the strength of the church laid in the hands of the ignorant. Because people, they didn't have a Bible on their own. They had to go to a priest. They had to go to the religious figure to, to be told what to do, what to believe, how to believe it, and when to believe it. So because of this, we see that there's been just this theme in religion throughout time where people tend to want to cling to what someone has to say or some teaching instead of finding out for themselves. And because of God's miraculous and sovereign hand, I firmly believe that he worked it out that everyone would have the opportunity to be able to study his word individually on their own and to prove these things prove his truths, prove the teachings that were taught to them. 
So today, as we close, we have to remember that our foundation has to be surely fixed on the rock. This world is a place where all foundations that are sandy and that are weak will be revealed. Things will come at us. Things in this world are temporary. The things in which we establish our faith, our lives upon, if they're not built upon the rock, they will fail us. Whether it be our job, whether it be you know, our government, whether it be even, even our spouses. And we're supposed to love our spouses, and, and, and that's a godly thing. But we have to remember that we're still in reliance to God. That even our spouses can be taken away from us. We have to make sure that we are teaching our children these truths. That the foundation of all truth is on the fear of God. The foundation of all truth is on the basis of the one who created all things. Who one who set in motion everything that you see in this world. So as we move forward today and tomorrow and, and into the spring season that's kind of ahead of us. And we can dwell on these things. And we can think leading up to you know, that season that we celebrate. You know, we celebrate that, that Passover and, 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 and renewing our covenant with, with Christ. We can think about these things. And we can try to evaluate the foundation. And, and if we've gotten away personally, individually, from building on that foundation, that foundation that was set up and that we accepted and, and much of it comes through doing the things in which God, the things in which Jesus tells us to do. Being, being doers of his word. Being doers of his will. And being a doer and being a, of his word and his will is not just about physically doing his will. It's about spiritually embracing his will. And we remember what Jesus said. The time will come where people will worship in truth and in spirit. Both are very important. We have to make sure that not only are we physically, yes, obeying God, but how about spiritually? Are we embracing spiritually, emotionally, cognitively God's will and trying to replace God's will, put God's will in our life above our own will and our own ways of thinking? These are just a few things that we have to think about and we have to evaluate. As we move forward and continue on, only, though, on that sure foundation, which is the rock, Jesus Christ.